This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. A sermon for the first Sunday after Christmas, December 27, 2020, offered at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Greensboro, Alabama. The principal text of the sermon is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, typically known as the prologue to the Gospel of John. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, the first Sunday after Christmas is a bit anticlimactic. The buildup of Advent usually reaches its peak with our celebrations on Christmas Eve, followed by Christmas morning celebrations at home that, if we're lucky, include all the gifts that we wanted and lots of good food. We have already heard the stories of baby Jesus in the manger, sung our favorite Christmas hymns. We may be tempted to follow the rest of the world and start moving past Christmas, taking down the tree, packing away ornaments. But yet the church calendar stubbornly says that Christmas is 12 days, not just one. But it's hard not to notice that the church is not quite as filled on the first Sunday after Christmas as it was on Christmas Eve. And thinking about sort of the strangeness of our ongoing Christmas year, it made me think of one of my favorite images of the nativity. It comes from the 15th century, and it's part of the illuminated pages of a French book of hours, or a really fancy way to say a prayer book that has illustrations in it. In this particular illustration, I imagine that the shepherds have already come and gone, And we see the ox and the donkey have been tucked back away into their pen. And Joseph is seated in the bottom left of the image at the foot of a bed. And Joseph is the one that is holding the baby Jesus. Mary is tucked into the bed, propped up on some pillows, reading a book. While the image of Mary reading and Joseph tending the baby is a bit unusual, it brings together an image of Mary that had become popular during the medieval period. Two images were often seen of Mary, one when she was a child being taught to read by her mother, St. Anne. This was used to explain how Mary would have been familiar with the song of Hannah and therefore could sing the Magnificat. The other image was of the Annunciation when the angel came to Mary to say that she would bear a child and Mary had begun to be depicted as though the angel was interrupting her saying of her daily prayers with a prayer book opened on her lap. And so this this illustration that found its way into this 15th century prayer book shows Mary after the birth of Jesus doing what she maybe had always done which is propping herself up on a pillow and continuing to study the word of God. This morning, we are invited to be like Mary, to study and ponder the word of God because we hear the great prologue from the Gospel of John, which is often considered one of the most complex and difficult to understand passages of scripture. John doesn't give us angels or a manger. Instead, John gives us poetry, 
and the possible fragments of a hymn. John's gospel begins with the creation of the world. The opening line, in the beginning was the word, should remind us of the opening lines of Genesis, when God moved in the void of the universe and then spoke light into being. It is through the creative word of God, the word that was in the beginning with God and was God, it is that word, that power of creation, that John says has now become flesh and lives among us. It is through the incarnate word, Jesus, that God is finally revealed to us. And it is through this incarnate word that all of us can become children of God. Now, John's gospel isn't all cosmic, hard-to-understand poetry. John does remind us in the very beginning of his book that there is darkness in the world that could and would overcome us if not for Jesus Christ. John links the joy of the incarnation to the sorrow of the cross, that the creative word of God entered into the world that was created through him, but yet is rejected by that world. Anytime I hear this prologue of the Gospel of John, I cannot help but think about space. You might notice a theme here. You've heard me preach a couple of times. I am rather fascinated by space. And so when I hear the prologue of John talking about the Word of God and all things being created and then think about that story in Genesis where God moves over the darkness and the void and calls forth light, I naturally think of space and the stars. A couple of months ago, there was a report of some scientists that were using a spacecraft called the New Horizons. This spacecraft is about the size of a piano. In the early 2000s, we launched it into space for it to go explore the planet Pluto. It did manage to fly by Pluto and take some pictures, but then it has kept going past that. It is now billions of miles from Earth, and the scientists realized that it was now so far out that its pictures wouldn't necessarily be affected by the brightness of our sun or the reflected light from the planets. And so the scientists, being the nerds that they are, decided to take the cameras on New Horizons and point it to what seemed to be the most boring part of space, the space that is just black, the parts of space that seem to have nothing in them. And so when they did that, they took photos and figured out that they could tune out any of sort of the extra light that might be there and analyze these images and did some complicated math and that they realized that in these pictures that they thought were simply empty black voids, there was still an amazing amount of light that they couldn't account for. Light that they maybe think comes from distant unknown galaxies that we haven't discovered yet, or maybe even the lingering light of the creation of the universe, but in the darkest of space, there was still light. And the only way that they could have figured that out was to let a spacecraft travel beyond the light of our own solar system. With the incarnation, the birth, life, and death of Jesus, we are created anew and offered new life and light in God. We're brought into relationship with God in a different way. 
As our opening prayer said, we have now received the light of God, God's incarnate word and that this light should shine forth in our lives. So the question on the first Sunday after Christmas is, what do we do with this light that we have received? We should certainly try to keep our flame lit through the study of scripture and worship, like Mary even taking a moment to read God's word after the birth of Jesus. We should stand ready to share it with our brothers and sisters to kindle the light of Christ in others. Maybe we're called to be like lighthouses that offer a beacon of safe harbor and rest into the darkness of a storm. But maybe we're also called to venture out into a world to shine God's light into places of seeming darkness. And if we're brave enough to step out of our comfortable circles of light, of the comfort of the church, out into the world, out into places unknown, we may just be surprised that we find light already there to greet us in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Amen.